Are you recording? I am recording All now. Right, we could do like a. <laughs> yes. Yeah, one, two, three. <laughs> but should we one, do One, two, that? three. Well, we could just clap our hands. I already started. Do you want me to stop and do that? No, I thought you were. Are you? Are you no, going to have to edit were... this now? You're not going to edit this. <laughs> I swear to God, you're not going to do that. You wouldn't like that. <laughs> I was going to clap just for your the sake of you. Yeah, I don't think. Here's my thing. I don't think uh, that listeners of the show they shouldn't notice a damn thing. It should just all, 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 all. It's like they won't even know that anything has changed. <laughs> Quality wise. I guess they would. I mean, why would they? Editing wise. I still got I, I got to dot the I's and cross the T's on the feed redirection and stuff like that. With, yeah, right. Um but I, that's not my problem. Or is that my problem? <laughs> that's your problem, too. <laughs> no, I think it seems as though any well-written podcast client, if they get a 302 HTTP, which is uh, like a 301 says redirect, go over there, but don't not permanently. 302 is permanent, and then it should remember the new URL. So if you were previously subscribed at muleradio.net slash the talk show, whatever the feed URL is, your your podcast software will just automatically update to daringfireball.net feeds the talk show or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I haven't decided on the URL yet. But nobody should notice a damn thing. Ah, Christ. Now you're back. How does that starting happen? out splendidly. <laughs> no Although quality Skype, problems. Skype problems are are endemic to podcasting. No problems whatsoever. Do you see the rumor today? Just broke hours before we we started recording that that uh, uh, Twitter might buy SoundCloud. Yeah. yeah, that won't mess with anybody. <laughs> No, that won't. But it's funny, Dan Fromer, friend of the show, uh, occasional guest of the uh, the talk show, uh, pointed out the the sort of irony in that is that it's that SoundCloud is effectively Odeo two point Yeah, and Odeo was, um, like a hey podcast. It was this. Is, we're t- I mean, this must be like back in like two thousand. So hard to remember that. I know four two thousand five. Yeah. But it was right. Ev, Ev Williams and Biz Stone and all the, these guys. You know, they they left Google after blogger you know it was like google bot blogger and then when their time was up they all got the hell out of google and they made odeo and it was going to be like like uh uh blogger for podcasting and it just they just didn't seem it seemed you know it's a good idea i mean they were on to something in terms of like back in 2004 2005 thinking podcasting was going to be big um clearly they're at it you know at the base the, the fundamental idea there is pretty good um and ahead of its time but they didn't never quite got it to work, and then it was like one of their guys, a little, you know, guy named Jack is over there, and, and they were like, "Anybody else have any ideas?" And Jack Dorsey <laughs> is like, "I got an idea," and it turned into Twitter. Twitter, yeah. 
But the, audio, the audio really didn't. That was a separate company, though, right? Well, it well it start Twitter started as an audio product, and okay. it you know I'm not quite sure what the legal uh, you know so at some point you know lawyers came in and 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 it went from Twitter being an an audio product to Twitter being a standalone you know corporation. Yeah, it was spun off, but but Twitter date started life as a product of the audio corporation. I've got an Odeo nothing, T-shirt and upstairs. And nothing happened to that. To Odeo? Yeah. Uh, just I think they changed the name to the ob- Obvious Corporation. I think it it might. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which I think is still the parent company of Medium. You know, that's the new thing that. that oh, really? Oh, okay. Okay. Have, so that guy, that they just when he started that, he just started under that umbrella. Yeah, I think I you know, and again, is there really a difference if they just dissolve? I don't know. Maybe they just dissolved. Odeo and started a new company called Obvious, or I think they changed the name though, you know, just to, to like save on paperwork mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. Like it might have been easier to just change the name of Odeo to the Obvious Corporation. Right. So anyway, are you, gonna, are, you uh, are you planning on using SoundCloud? I guess so. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't want to get, well, I, it's funny because now that I have to, um, worry about every single detail of hosting the podcast and and there are it's like you know i don't know how much of the details you're you're taking care of with the uh uh what's the parenting show get back uh, in the, i'm uh, gonna turn this, this car, car around yes turning this car around uh, <laughs> i was gonna call it don't make me go back there <laughs> <laughs> also but that was also in the running <laughs> We had a, we did a, we had a long list of things that Dad say. Yeah, don't make me come so back. That was probably that was probably in there someplace. Um, but there are there's all sorts of details that you have to worry about, and and a fundamental one is where do you store the audio files? Audio, yeah. Um, it would cost, according to my calculations, uh, a couple of thousand dollars a month for me to host the audio on Amazon S3. Um, could be off by a little, but I'm probably not off by a lot. Uh, which is, you know, start talking about hundreds of dollars and I might just squander it. Thousands of dollars. You've got my attention. (laughs) Uh, and SoundCloud is free. This is, I mean, I don't want to get too inside baseball here, but to me, it's a sort of an interesting, it's the perils of, of venture backed cloud services. Mm-hmm. So SoundCloud is free for everything, and and it's it started life, I guess, as sort of a music hosting service where musicians could put songs up and have people play them. But they don't, you know, they let you put anything up there, including podcasts, and and you can put your podcast there, and they don't insert their own ads. They have a player that you can embed. Like if you go, you know, if anybody's ever looked at the talk show pages on Mule Radio, they use the SoundCloud embeddable player. That's yeah. Um, that's what that's what we use. And it, but that doesn't really have ads. It has SoundCloud branding, but you don't have to use their audio player. You know, like uh, Dave Whiskus's unprofessional uh, show. Um, him and Jamie Newberry now are the host of that. I forget who used to be the host. Um, with Dave. <laughs> well, what's his? I always forget that guy's name. Lex. That's it, Lex. <laughs> right. Uh, who is on my my parenting podcast? He is. Yes. He never speaks up. (laughs) All I ever hear is you and John. Are you giving the Casey treatment? Isn't this called the Casey treatment? 
They should do a show. <laughs> they should and, do a show. And they should, it would be called like those guys, the other guys. <laughs> yeah, right. The other guys. Oh my God, that'd be great. <laughs> um, and they should pretend to be each other. <laughs> just to confuse things. Um, but like on unprofessional, he hosts the, their audio with SoundCloud, but he uses a different, you know, HTML5 audio player. Um, and it all seems too good to be true. And, and because behind the scenes, SoundCloud hosts your audio on Amazon S3. And so, you know, it's, it's hundreds or in, if for a popular enough show, thousands of dollars worth of S3 bandwidth that SoundCloud is just covering, uh, based on the, the like $60 million they've raised in, you know, venture capital. Yeah. So it's a perfect fit for Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We have no idea how to monetize this. Right. And so like with with, like my friends and as I've been talking and, and, and planning and plotting and detailing, you know, everything I have to do to move the, the talk show to be part of Daring Fireball, and I see, I hear that, and I think, well, that's too good to be true. And too good to be true is to me, it's, it makes me very uncomfortable. I would rather pay a reasonable amount of money for right. something that I feel is sustainable than do it. And I, I say this to some people, and, and some people hear it, and they, you know, and they think, oh yeah, you have a good point. That is a little worrisome. And then other people are like, just take the free hosting, dummy. And, <laughs> you know, worry about what you do when it goes away. When it goes away, wait for the bird. Well, you have an established podcast, so. In your situation, it's a little easier, you know, with established sponsors and such. Right. So it's a little easier to actually go out and shell something out. But like, right, starting exactly. up, you know, when we started up, we didn't have any, we didn't have any advertisers to begin with, and so right. it would have been would have been a lot harder. Right. It's it's not that you have to have a lot of confidence that it was going to go someplace. And there's other options besides Amazon S3. Uh, there's you know all sorts of things like you know one could do to host a podcast. But there you know because SoundCloud offers a good quality, uh, you know because it's backed by S3. Uh, I'm, I'm, they don't tell you that, but it just if you poke around and see where your stuff's coming from, it seems like it is um, good quality. It works around the world, which is often a problem. Like if you were just to do like the the obvious thing and just get like a you know Linux server and start just put your audio files there and let people download it. Like and people around the world might have trouble getting it. Whereas something that's meant to be a content delivery system like S3 works better. Uh, and then you don't have to pay. <laughs> it's, right. it's, and again, like you said, it seems like a perfect fit for Twitter. <laughs> You guys have no idea. You guys have exorbitant <laughs> costs and no idea how to make money for it. We're gonna we're gonna spend. <laughs> you should be part a of Twitter. Dollars on you guys. Right. <laughs> you should come work with us. Uh, all sorts of acquisitions. Who does, uh, who does Mark? Is this, so there's another one, and Marco uses something else. What's the Li- Libsyn? Libsyn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know anything about that one. Yeah, they're they're a little bit less uh, nebulous in terms of the money. Like they have like some kind of tiering and paid accounts and and something. I don't know. Uh, Amy, uh, what's her name? And Paul Cafasis have a show. Then then they use Libsyn too. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. That's why I like to have you on the show, John. <laughs> You just have to remember what your name is. Exactly. <laughs> he's got the same name that I've got. <laughs> Does it ever bother you that Armstrong doesn't have an H? 
Yeah. Is he, is he, yeah, he must be a Jonathan, right? Whenever I see a J-O-N, yeah, I just I assume ass- that's what that is. I assume that you're a Jonathan. Right. But we're, uh, we're not, right? I mean, you're I'm no, not. No, yeah, definitely Just John. Not. No, I see J-O-N, and I think you're really a Jonathan, and you're just f- pretending to be a John. <laughs> and then when other people will say to me, if they say, hey, is your real name Jonathan Gruber? Is your full name Jonathan Gruber? Then I'm offended, because I'm like, no, I have an H. Were you, uh, were you named after somebody? Uh, sort of. Long story short, um, uh, I was a first child, and my mom, uh, this is before any kind of ultrasound-type technology. So when my mom was pregnant with me in uh, 1972, um, all they knew was that she was pregnant. Above. Sound had not been invented. Yet. Nope, sound had, and neither or nor had color. Um, right, right. But my mom was a hundred percent convinced that she was having a girl. She'd had no children before, but she just felt like she was having a girl. And it, she even has; she still has it, like a a little like back pocket sized book of baby names, like the sort of little, almost like a pamphlet book. With thousands of names, but it's you know, it's it's like you could fit in like it's like the size of a field notes book. Forty five names uh, that you know you used to buy books like that in a supermarket. Uh, yeah, uh, and she has it, and and like the girl pages are all like worn. You know, the, there's also and there's there's annotated dozens and dozens of names circled and then different colors for like second. And there's like two boys' names. It was like Jason and uh, I forget the other one. Uh, I didn't like it though. Um, but there were like two boys names that were like vaguely underlined and that was it. That was the only thought she'd put into it. And then I came out and they said, it's a boy. And she goes, no, it's not. And my dad <laughs> put it back. And, and, uh, and she was upset cause she didn't know. She just was so sure it was a girl that had no names picked out. And my dad was not in the room cause this was 1973 yeah. and, and men still was not done. No, it he was, was not done. In a, he was in a smoke-filled room with a bunch of cigars. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and probably like a six-pack or something. Uh, sure. And then they came in, and they said, uh, you know, good news. Your wife had a baby. It's a healthy boy. And my dad, I guess he joined uh, my mom, and, they, and she said, well, what are we going to call him? And he just goes, his name is John. <laughs> And then that was it. There was like no discussion. My mom had spent like hours and hours over the preceding like eight months picking out girls' names, and my they never discussed it. And my dad just goes, "His name is John." Now it ends up that both both of my grandparents, her dad and my dad's dad, were both named John. Oh, okay. And so there you go. Uh, you know, everybody felt honored. Right. Yeah. What about you? Are you named after anybody? Yeah, my grandfather, my mom's dad, he passed away like uh, six months before I was born. So I was named after him. Mm, tragic. Yeah. It's a good name. Don't smoke, kids. Don't smoke. It's a good name. Gets me through the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of other acquisitions in the news. So uh, and, and, and near... <laughs> Near acquisitions, yeah. Tortured, continuing tortured acquisitions. Yes. Yeah. Well, the the Beats one, which I thought right. would have been old news by the time we were recording this, is still yeah. not still in limbo. <laughs> it's still actually not news. <laughs> like that, we're we're getting close to two weeks now, right? Since it'll be like the yeah. end of this week yeah, will be, be two, two weeks. weeks Friday, right? Um, 
And a lot of people have been writing to me, you know, at Daring Fireball, emailing, saying like, hey, maybe this whole thing is just nonsense. And, you know, Apple not denying it is just their usual, you know, we don't comment one way or the other. Because if they and and there might be, you know, who knows? I don't I actually don't know. But, you know, the, the idea would be, well, why wouldn't Apple just publicly deny it if it weren't true? The idea then would be um, that they'd be they don't, giving... They don't deny anything. Right, because then they'd be giving it away if there was another subsequent one that was real but was still pending, and then they didn't comment on that one, then it would be a sign that if it's not true, Apple will deny it, but if it is true, is true they, they'll be yeah. quiet. Where So therefore, if they want to maintain, you know keep people in, in up in the air until they ha- actually make the announcement themselves, they have to not comment on everything, whether it's true or false. So there's mm-hmm. some logic there. But I do think, though, that if it weren't the case, they, I, I don't think they would address it officially with an official statement, but I think behind the scenes they'd get word out. And we haven't, I haven't seen any sign of that. There's not a single report from anybody saying... Uh, you know, unnamed sources familiar with the situation say that Apple is not buying Beats. Everything has said, you know, indicates yeah. that they that they still intend to. And uh, Peter Kafka of Recode, that's like the new All Things D. Um, he said like midweek last week that it was taking longer than expected, but that this is the week. Sometime this week it'll be announced, I guess. I can't. I, it seems like that video probably didn't help. No, I would guess that that video <laughs> think did that that not was, help. That probably wasn't a bright idea. No, but. you would think so. I, I <laughs> it just. Uh, my guess is it, it's not the video that was the problem. It's the fact that the video got. Yeah, that's posted. probably not the right. The major, the major problem. Right. It, it was probably jumping the gun. Yeah, and I would guess that. Dr. Dre did not expect it to be posted to Facebook, you know, a guy, he, you know what I mean? He's, he's a uh-huh. very, very smart man. Uh, and he's clearly been, uh, if it's true, he's clearly been in, he knows enough that Apple doesn't want anything announced. I think that the, you know, it was the fact that it was his friend that it wasn't that he posted it to Facebook. It was his friend that posted it to Facebook. I bet that was a good conversation because <laughs> it was only up for a few hours. Right. And then it was taken down early in the morning. <laughs> and it also seemed like the sort of situation where maybe he wouldn't have been getting up early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> right? That would probably be my guess as well, yeah. There might have been a little sleeping in done after that video was made. <laughs> no, and I, I pass no judgment there. Nobody loves to sleep in more than I do. <laughs> you sure can't swing a... Uh... A pair of Beats headphones around without hitting somebody with an opinion about it, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think the funny thing is, I think that's, it's to me, the interesting thing about it isn't the actual, it's no longer the actual acquisition if it comes to pass. It's more that the way that we've had like this two-week period where it was just a, a unconfirmed rumor with no explanation from Apple or Beats as to why Apple would want to do this, it's become like this sort of, blank canvas where everybody can project whatever they think about apple onto it right good or bad uh, yeah yeah i guess i think i think it I, yeah everything i mean i think everything that apple does has that has that 
element to it. Yeah, and I feel, but I feel like this more so than anything else because we, it did seem to come out of left field. Like nobody yeah. was really predicting it. Um, it did seem confusing at first to a lot of us, to me at least. And I think it's still, I think it's still confusing a little bit anyway because it doesn't seem like the hardware is that great. It doesn't seem like, a, you know, I mean, like they have a streaming service already, and. From what everybody says, it doesn't seem like the licenses for the music go along with the sale. Right. But then there's um, Iovine. But $3 billion seems like a lot for an Aqua hire. Right. Exactly. Right. I don't, you know, maybe all together, though. Maybe, yeah, you know. I mean, maybe all together it seems like something. A little bit here, a little bit there. Um, the- so it's not, you know, on the surface, it's not completely clear exactly what the value is. Yeah, I totally agree. But I don't know, though, that it, you know, I'm I'm willing to say as somebody who has, you know, I I think widely known as a keen Apple observer, I'm willing to say, I just don't know. And just wait. And I'll just wait. You know, I, I don't have there's no way that I could go off on any kind of strongly opinionated um you know, column or, or rant here on the show one way or the other that this is stupid or it's genius either way. I, I, I don't know. Cause I don't know enough yet. I don't know why more people can't just say, right. I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> they think that's a sign of weakness, I guess. I don't know, but I've seen people, you know, saying that this is the, the clearest sign. This is, you know, incontrovertible proof that, uh, Tim Cook is a moron. You know that he's running the country into the you know, company into the ground, um, and I've yeah. seen other people say it's genius. You know, and this you know keeps Apple on top of the music industry for another two decades. And it's like, really? I, I don't see how either of those extremes is evident in the least. Yeah, uh, Jean, did you read uh, Jean Louis Gasset's? No, I did not. Take on his, so was he's, that got new? A, he's got a yeah, he's got a piece up today. His Monday note is about is about that, and his I mean, and he kind of splits it fairly well basically just saying that he doesn't he doesn't understand it at this point right yeah i think that's the, the to me that's the only thinking man's take is and it's that it doesn't make it less intriguing if anything it makes it more intriguing because it's like wow now we you know there's something interesting going on here i can't wait to find out more about it there's got to be you just feel like there's got to be something more you know like i don't think i really 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 do not think that the the answer is uh, Apple has just given up and decided to just be lazy and just throw billions around willy-nilly <laughs> without really thinking about it. That after going decades, only making relatively small. I mean, uh, I think it's the case that they haven't made a billion. They've never made a billion-dollar acquisition. Um. And then yeah. all of a sudden now, after never having done so, now they're just going to spend money willy-nilly? I, I mean, that doesn't I, – I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, no. Like without a very, very concrete idea of how it's going to help Apple. I just don't see it, though. It's interesting that when they acquired Next – I mean, Next was only like $400 million or something like that? Yeah. 400 and some. Yeah. And there's some inflation adjustment that you have to do. Right, right. But there's also, I mean, and I think there's just a, apart from the value of the dollar, there's there's an acquisition inflation. Yeah, that's gone on since then 
I mean, yeah. some of these acquisitions that have happened have just driven up. It's like every time somebody wants to get acquired, they're like, well, you know, the Facebook bought Instagram for. Well, look at it this way. The it, Apple, the Apple, the Apple next acquisition was, I, I forget when it was officially completed. I, I think it was like at least a handshake around Christmas 1996, but, Six. but made official in January 97. So whether you want to call it 96 or 97, probably 97 is a little bit better because it, you know, you know, Christmas week or New Year's week, 96 is effectively 97 anyway. Um, but even so, the the dot-com bubble was still in the early mm-hmm. days. You know, it's, it had gotten started, but it was still early days. And so I, I think at, at that point, acquisitions were still largely done on traditional metrics of revenue <laughs> revenue and profit like the idea that you would value an acquisition on it's anything sad. well it's just it's sad in a lot of t- cases but in others maybe not so you know like uh, a good example might be facebook buying instagram where instagram hadn't tried to make a nickel right they'd never sold the app they'd yeah. they'd never but done it was clearly worth a lot right because they had growth and they had, you know, all of these images. They had even had good technology. Like one thing that all, to me often goes un, unsaid about Instagram because it's when things work, we just don't notice it and we take it for granted. But um, Twitter, which was all just text, you know, had so many problems with scaling, with the fail whale, etc. Uh, Instagram was doing something, you know, where I'm guessing the average Instagram post is at least uh, well i don't know it could be it's got to be at least a thousand times bigger than a tweet though because it's an image not a not just 140 characters right uh i I don't know i might but i could be ten thousand times more i don't even know i don't even know how big an instagram image but it's got to be at least a thousand times more um and never really had scaling problems right and the, the previous darling of social photo sharing Flickr. Now that we have to go way back in the day for the early days of Flickr before Yahoo bought them, um, also had, you know, terrible scaling problems and it was far smaller than Instagram was. They did a great job. So there's some value there, but billions or what was it? 1 billion that Facebook bought them for. I think so. For a company that never even tried to make a nickel. It's crazy. Well, not crazy, but it's it's it would certainly be crazy if they you, had a lot of users, which is a pretty important right. metric for for that kind of thing. And the potential why, to make money is there. Yeah. Right. I think the biggest thing, if you're going to compare something like Apple buying Beats for three billion today to Apple's next acquisition in '97 isn't about the the inflationary difference between 400 and some million then and 3 billion now it's really more how much is the the cost compared to how much the apple had on hand at the time whereas now apple has what like 160 billion in cash much of it off sea overseas um but even so even if you even if they decided to pay the entire price in cash using overseas cash and pay you know 30 or 40% income tax on the thing it's it's a drop in the bucket right they could spend five billion on beats and it's only 
one thirty fifth of their entire cash on hand. You know, right. it, it's a you know. Whereas the four hundred and some million acquisition of Next in nineteen ninety seven was, uh, people say this all the time that it's a bet the company move that that is one case where it's not the least bit hyperbolic where it was enough, you know, Apple was near bankruptcy. They didn't have, they couldn't afford to lose to, to not have it work out. Right. If you're, that was basically, so, uh, yeah. So Microsoft's investment, what was Microsoft? 150 million, right? 150 million. Yeah. So it was three times bigger. A third. third, Yeah. I'm assuming. So Microsoft basically (laughs) paid for a third of that. I've said this before. Microsoft's people often look back at that and say that Microsoft helped save Apple by giving them 150 million. The 150 million they gave Apple didn't really make much of a difference compared, you know, in terms of keeping the company afloat. Like, right? They needed office. Yeah, they still needed billions of revenue per quarter just to stay in the black. So, 150 million investment from Microsoft. I mean, it was enough at the time that it, it certainly didn't hurt, but it didn't really make a big difference. I mean, they needed billions in revenue. And to keep costs down to stay in the black quarter to quarter. It was the, like you said, yeah, the commitment to keep doing office and the political value of the $150 million investment. Yeah. The fact but that Apple's, it, Apple's revenue last quarter was $45.6 billion. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, considering that they take in that, about that, and that's not, it wasn't even a record quarter. Um, it, Three million does not three billion does not seem like very much. Right. I think that the 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 concern, and I have this concern. I do. I mean, I you know, I want to see how it turns out. I mean, but as a as a, a company watcher, I'm certainly concerned about it. Where it's not the money; it's to me the 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 potential that it could signify a lack of focus. You know that focus has always been the key to Apple's success that they have all of this talent in the company and so many good executives and the whole operation is working on such a relatively few number of products. You know, Tim Cook has said, he's used the analogy several times, but that like, you know, that, that he could put all of the company's products on one table in an Apple store, the entire lineup of hardware that Apple sells could be arranged neatly on one table and that that sort of focus is what lets the company do such good work on those products. Yeah. And I guess that, that kind of colors how you think this deal is the value of this deal, depending on whether you think that they're going to sort of subsume that brand into their own or keep it separate. Yeah. Totally. I mean, uh, Montero and I talked about this last week. I just don't know. I, to me, that's the one of the single biggest questions about this potential acquisition is, uh, and it's fascinating to me because on the one hand, I can't see Apple having owning a, a, a sub brand, sub brand, and on the other hand, I can't see spending three billion dollars for Beats and not keeping the brand because to me. It seems to me like most of the value in Beats is in the brand. Yeah, I would guess so. Like I, again, uh, again, again, we're just right. <laughs> I have heard from some people. I mean, clearly among audiophiles, you know, like your Marco Arments, um, uh, people who really know what the hell have seemingly have fully operational ears and really can tell the difference between different headphones. 
Beats is is like a non-entity and and almost treated with disdain. But I've seen other people say, well, so audiophiles will keep buying their audiophile headphones, you know, from Sennheiser and whoever else. Um, but normal people love the way Beats headphones sound, and that it's not about like uh, fidelity and reproducing music, you know, in some sort of way that you measure fidelity, but uh, effectively making it sound as though you have a nightclub in your head. Yeah. And that they do a really good job of that. I don't know, though, that that means that it would be hard for a competitor to do the same thing, though, that they, you know, that they have technology. That, is it that they have technology that's hard to reproduce or, you know, I, I don't think that's It doesn't that's seem true. like that. No. no, it doesn't seem like it's in, particularly since their stuff was made by Monster before. Right. I mean, they've only been making their own stuff for a little while, six, um, six months or something. Yeah. Maybe a little longer than that, but. I've also seen other people, and this is on Twitter, and you know, it's, it's all you know. This has been the knock against Apple for as long as Apple has existed. I mean, probably from like 1980 onwards. Um, people who are clearly not a fan of Apple products in general, saying it's a perfect acquisition for Apple, overpriced technology <laughs> sold based on uh, marketing alone. <laughs> So it's a you know I don't think it's a problem for Apple that for among some people the idea that Apple buys Beats reinforces that notion of the company because I feel like those people there's nothing Apple could ever do in a million years to turn them around right you know and if your goal is to get a hundred percent of all consumers to view your brand favorably you're doomed you're never you're you're going to end up you know you're going to end up failing. Yeah. There's no brand in any market that, that, that works like that. So what other what other acquisitions? Well, let's take a break. Okay. Uh, and let me tell you about our first sponsor, our good friends, all three sponsors today, longtime friends of the show. Glad to have them on board with the transition to the, the new Daring Fireball version of the talk show. Um, our first is our good friends at Igloo. That's the intranet you'll actually like. Um, Igloo, and they want me to tell you a little bit about um, their comparison to SharePoint. Now, SharePoint's an intranet product from a little company in my, uh, Washington, state of Washington, up by you, Microsoft. That's correct. Just up the road. Um, if you go to the URL, I'm going to tell you in a minute, um, which is igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. Um, you will go to a special page they've set up just for listeners of the show where they show the results of um, a white paper that they commissioned from a company called Osterman Research. They said, here, you guys, go out there. We're paying you, but go out there and do an honest version where you compare our product to SharePoint, and and, and we're going to share the information with people. Um, and they came out ahead in just about every way you could imagine. Uh, SharePoint is too expensive. You can save a ton of money by going with Igloo. Uh, SharePoint requires too many resources. You have to host it yourself. You have to pay for these Windows servers. Igloo is fully hosted. You don't have to worry about it. Um, people actually, this is the big one, people actually use it. What they found is that companies that use SharePoint-based intranets, what the employees actually do is spend all their time going around it and using email and avoiding it. Whereas companies that use Igloo, people actually will use it and they like it. Uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm laughing because I used to work someplace that used SharePoint, and, and that is exactly what what we found. Right. You install it, and then people find ways to get, around, get away from it. Uh, SharePoint doesn't play well with mobile. 
that's a huge thing going forward. Uh, you know, Igloo, everything they do, it has responsive layouts, so it all works great from your phone, whether you're on Android, whether you're on iOS. Um, so they have a thing you can download. Just go to igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. They have an evaluation kit you can download. Um, they also have some new templates they've set up. These are pretty recent. These came out like last month. Um, but templates you can use in Igloo to set up Igloo in different ways depending on what you need. Like if you need a customer community site or a corporate intranet just for your team to share. Two very different use cases, whether you're you know setting up something for a community of your users, people who are outside the company or something internal only. Um, they have an app-based social network. Um, a couple of new templates. All of them you can start using for free with up to 10 people just to try it out. And that's just fantastic because then you, you just set it up free. Start using it free. Get 10 people on board. You don't have to pay anything and make sure that it works just the way you want, that it actually is. All these things I've just been telling you are true. Only then do you need to sign up when you add more than 10 people. And after that, the price is really, really competitive. Um, so my thanks to them. And again, just go to igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. Uh, what were we talking about? Acquisitions. So what else? Acquisitions. Uh, there's uh, – oh, this is good. This is why I thought about having you on the show. So it's, again, rumored, not completed as we record. But YouTube is supposedly buying oh, yeah. Twitch. Twitch. Uh, for a billion dollars. So there's two interesting things about that. One, Twitch is is effectively. Uh, I saw. It, I just posted a thing before I did. We started recording that it's it's like the ESPN of video games. That they stream. Right. They treat video games the way ESPN treats sports, and you go to Twitch and you use Twitch and you can watch. You know, top players play video games. Um, and you and I have talked about this because our our right. sons are ten years old are really into watching videos of people playing video games. Um. And, you know, I didn't come up with this the last time we talked about it, but, uh, uh, you know, I've already watched this season uh, probably the Yankees have played, I think, 42 games so far. I've probably watched about 30 of them. So uh, I'm probably up close to 100 hours of baseball that I've watched so far this year. (laughs) And yet I'm the one who was thinking just just like a (laughs) month ago how crazy it is that my son watches people playing games, video of people playing games rather than playing them himself. Whereas I haven't right. played baseball in 15 <laughs> years and watch hundreds of hours of it a year. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, duh, it's the same thing. You know, I'm into baseball, so I love watching my favorite baseball team play. Uh, he's into video games, and so he loves watching people play video games. And I would rather watch people play video games because uh, I have a better chance than with my local sports team. Of, I have a better chance seeing somebody actually win. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> and so I, I, I think that I mean, if you're if you're YouTube, Google YouTube, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that it's being dealt with as a YouTube acquisition, not a Google right. acquisition. I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, and I didn't even notice this, but like the head of YouTube, her title is CEO. Like their YouTube, oh. I didn't know that. I, I just thought because they were trying to get the same unified sign-in everywhere. I didn't realize that YouTube is you know as independent as it seems to be. That's interesting. But it totally makes sense to be you know for it to you know it, it does make sense that it's YouTube in particular, not Google in general, that might be making this acquisition. Yeah. 
somebody, and I apologize because I don't remember, it was a retweet of someone who I don't follow, but um, said that a while ago Vimeo had noticed that a bunch, that people were posting a lot of uh, sort of the sort of let's play videos and um, and responded by banning them. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess, you know, if that's what you want for your platform, then yeah, don't want that kind of thing on your... I mean, they, they're they a little more artsy, I guess. Yeah, and they've, you know, they've, yeah, they've always sort of differentiated themselves from YouTube, where YouTube has sort of been like, anything that you can legally post as video, you can post to YouTube. Where, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know... Copyright stuff in particular, and I'm sure that there's some kind of content-based stuff that that would get rejected from YouTube. But if it's legal, you can post it, and they don't care what it is, right? I mean, you can just yeah. you know, it's, yeah. I'm sure there actually are. And they often, I mean, and they basically usually it seems like they usually wait for someone to ask to have it taken down, right? Whereas Vimeo is always sort of yeah, exactly. They sort of want a sort of artistic style. I, I don't know, and they also have restrictions yeah. about commercials type stuff, you know, where you can't. Yeah. So I did. Yeah, I didn't think about that. The licensing aspect of it, which maybe maybe that is more of what it is, rather than sort of the artsy aspect of it. Yeah, I thought it was more like oh, we don't we don't want let's play videos on our <laughs> on our site. Uh, I did see somebody tweeted that one of the things people who are fans of Twitch are concerned about with the YouTube acquisition is that a lot of these videos get posted with music playing in the background. Uh, you know. And, and YouTube has oh. gotten very, very good at flagging such things, identifying right. copyright music. But to me, that's sort of a, you know, and, and you know, I'm not a big fan of Google. I, I think it's fair to say. But I have to say that if you're putting copyright music in your videos and uploading them to a commercial website and it gets that's flagged. Kind of, that's on you. Yeah. <laughs> there's sort of, you know, the world's tiniest violin playing a sad song here for you. It's like, <laughs> you know, I understand that it's, it, and if, you know, it's one of those things like comiXology going to Amazon where, you know, it is making it worse for you as a user, but you know, come on, it, you know, copyright stuff is still copy. You know, there's can't using music for free is still, you have to admit it's a gray area. Right. Like you had to, you know, you had to think eventually that's, that bubble was going to burst one way or the other. Yeah. And I do, I think we're on the cusp of this sort of video people, people spent, you know, note observe, observing, noting, and then monetizing the fact that millions of people are watching hundreds and hundreds of hours of people play video games. This, this is going to become a thing. <laughs> it's, it's going to quickly, it's not going to take long before idiots like me who think wow these crazy kids today uh you know no longer see it as as odd or unusual yeah, yeah and i kind of maybe you mentioned this before but i feel like that's just, this is kind of my first moment of having something like that come up i mean and, if, and from kids so young i mean kids from you know my, our kids are 10 and seeing what they do and, and kind of and at the beginning going oh did, uh, you know that's so lowbrow but then realizing well maybe not maybe it's Maybe I need to give it another chance. Yeah, and I'm sure it's just like any. I'm, you know, I, I feel like I'm almost proud of myself for being as uncurmudgeonly as to recognize that this is normal. That this there's not that I shouldn't be seen. That I was wrong. That I shouldn't be seeing this is weird. Yeah, I'm kind of proud of myself. <laughs> and and it wasn't until he started watching that stuff that I even realized that this was such a huge industry. Yeah. 
Well, you like I wrote that. I wrote that article about right. the, the guys who are doing Minecraft stuff, and I mean, they're making ridiculous amounts of money. Right. And good for them, right? Yeah. No, it's great. Right? It's great. I mean, because it all comes down to the bottom line is attention. You know, we've this is not a, a new observation. It's obvious, but you know, that's the one thing that we have collectively in the aggregate that that's a limited resource. Every person only has twenty four hours in the day, and we need to spend a certain number of hours of that sleeping and eating and working or going to school or something. So, uh, you know, if you're capturing in the aggregate millions of hours of attention, there's tremendous value there. Yeah. Stampy Long Nose, that guy that are the main guy that I wrote about that article, uh, recently tweeted that he's, you know, it was a picture of Jack Black. You know, he visit, was visiting with Jack Black and the two of them are going to be working on something together. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> which is a really which is a good fit for starters but also just i mean the fact that this this guy who was working in a pub two years ago and is now a gigantic mogul of youtube minecraft videos that's so awesome but that yeah. it's all just you know of a piece that you're doing this you know you're doing this thing that people watch for this reason i do these things that people watch for another reason we should do something together right uh, what else? Acquisition news. Uh, AT and T. Oh yeah, is buying Direct TV for forty five billion dollars. You can just feel the increase in competition, can't you? <laughs> I was just talking to somebody yesterday. We we got together with friends yesterday, out of town friends, uh, and and we were talking about that. The that's the thing that really grates about the Comcast, Time Warner merger which is really comcast buying time warner which is for almost the same amount of money like 46 billion dollars it would be one thing if comcast's argument was okay don't worry this is still going to be okay for consumers here's why that's in and there's some kind of argument they could make there and maybe it makes some kind of sense but the fact that they're actually saying that it will increase Increase competition competition. (laughs) it would increase competition for us to consume our largest competitor <laughs> makes no sense, right? Like if the Yankees and Red Sox merged, you could say, well, this would be good for baseball for this reason or the other, but you can't say it would increase competition because it's two arch rivals with, you know, big budgets. <laughs> it, it can't direct TV and AT&T merging cannot increase competition. <laughs> It's yeah, it's the cla- it's classic lobbyist talk. Yeah, I also saw that the Directv in particular was part of um, a com- part of Comcast, and it's it's I think it's driven. You know, it could be the sort of thing where maybe AT and T wouldn't have done this if they didn't have the nagging feeling that this Comcast Time Warner thing is going to go through, and that they kind of need to you know they need to get bigger in the same way. Um, but that Comcast part of Comcast's argument. That it's that it, that this is not anti-competitive or bad for consumers in a competitive way, is that the average U.S. citizen has like three options or three three or at least three options uh, as an alternative to Comcast and Time Warner, <laughs> but that it, that's it's not about cable service to your home or any kind of wired uh, thing. It's Directv, right? You know that they're counting as competition something of an entirely different sort. Just the whole thing. I, I mentioned this before. I mean, I'm just glad that here in Tacoma we have a city-provided uh, broadband. 
You know, very few cities have done that. Uh, forget who else. Yeah. I just saw somebody was um, was it San Diego? I forget. There's somewhere in Southern California where they have municipal municipal Wi-Fi, and that it works. It's it's really good. And you're, you're like, if it's not San Diego, it's somewhere else in Southern California. But that you you know you're downtown and you can just walk around and get on the Wi-Fi, and you have you know superior to you know like LTE, you know wireless internet everywhere. Yeah, but those pockets are very few and far between. Yeah. So what do you guys have? You guys have wired broadband. Yep. And you, yeah. And who do you pay? Who do you write? We were we were we were one of those like in the late nineties, like one of those cities that was vying for the title of America's most wired city or something like that. Hmm. So you know there was you, the few. But how does it work? Do you, were, do, you doing that. do you do you have- so the city runs the network. And they have contracted with a few small local private uh, companies to provide the service and come out and do the installation and stuff like that. And is it good service? So there's, it's fine. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly no worse than Comcast. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should be and their I slogan. Feel, I feel good that I'm not sending Comcast my money. That should be their slogan. <laughs> yeah, right. Certainly no worse than Comcast. You know, it's still, I mean, I, you know, I experience ups and downs. I don't have any idea if I experience more ups and downs than your average Comcast user. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, it, I don't get a lot of them. And I, I pay for like the cheapest level. So. Shocker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that before you asked. <laughs> Let me take a break here and thank our second sponsor, our good friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is unlimited, unthrottled, uncomplicated backup for your Mac. Available anywhere. Uh, you pay $5 a month per Mac, and you get unlimited backup. It sounds too good to be true, but it's not. It makes a lot of sense. Does it take a long time for your initial backload, uh, upload of your entire four gigabytes or whatever you have or, or four terabytes, however big it is to upload. Yeah, it does actually. Um, but you can just do it during your free trial period. And then once your whole Mac is backed up over the cloud to back blazes, uh, servers, everything else is just incremental after that. And they have iOS apps, uh, for your iPhone, for iPad that you can access your data from anywhere at any time. So if you're on your iPhone and there's a file that you know is on your Mac and your whole Mac is backed up to Backblaze, you can just go into Backblaze on your iPhone, go to where that file is on your hard drive and download it right there to your iPhone from anywhere, anytime. Uh, and it's all for just $5 a month. No upgrades. There's no, oh, for, well, there is a $5, $5 a month tier, but it's not really the one you want. You're going to want to upgrade to a bigger thing because you only get so much. No, it's nothing like that. It's just $5 a month for everybody per Mac. Um, great service. I always say it makes you sleep better knowing you have an offsite backup. Uh, I've been using it. I forget how long I've been using it. Uh, and it just runs in the background on your Mac. Nothing to worry about. Just a great service. I think it's probably a great thing, not just for all of you out here listening to the show, but it's also a great thing that you could um, set up for your parents or anybody like less technical uh, family and friends members who have Macs uh, so that you know that everything they have is getting backed up. 
off site uh, just in case something bad happens in the house or wherever their Mac is. Great, great, great service. Um, if you haven't tried it, I, I just I can't imagine what you're waiting for. And I don't even know. I can't imagine why anybody would try it and then not sign up for it because it's just so great. Uh, where do you go to sign up and find out more? Easy. Go to their website, www.backblaze.com slash daringfireball. Backblaze.com slash daringfireball. My thanks to them. I'm going there right now. Yes, just you, but you should. Do. I don't. I currently don't have offsite backup. Well, then you're not. Which is dumb. Yeah, really I know. dumb. You, I and know. you should start it. Start it right now while we're recording the show over Skype because I'm sure that won't cause any problems <laughs> whatsoever. I'll help. <laughs> my, okay, my, I'll wait until we're done. My thanks to Backblaze for ruining this recording of the talk show. <laughs> <laughs> I already uh, ruined it. I tell you, it does put perspective on it, where if you want, you know, Apple, the company with $160 billion in the bank, is buying a company for $3 billion, and, and it was mega, mega news for, you know, a week and a half. It'll, if it, Assuming it comes to fruition this week, I'm sure it'll pop, pop back up to the top of the tech news. Uh, what is that? One-fifteenth the size of AT&T's purchase of DirecTV. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that they would wait until WWDC? I've, I I thought of that. I you know they're close enough now because what we're as we record today two we're two weeks to the day we're recording on Monday the nineteenth so we're two weeks yeah. to the day so I don't know why not you know it, it you know would it, and especially if they have some sort of consumer based story to tell about why they're doing it and what they have right. planned together uh, why not you know why not just get all the paperwork ready to go and don't put the signatures down until Sunday, June 1st. And then, you know, right. Monday, June 2nd, have something, something on the keynote. It's close enough that I wouldn't yeah, be surprised. Then, then you got instant news. Right. Not that anybody's probably not going to write about it anyway, but, um, well, and they get their own, they get to, they get to s- spin it their way. Tell right. their story, tell their side of the story, and explain themselves first in a in a in a forum that's more uh, you know it, a richer medium than just a press release, right? A press release you just can write what you want to say, whereas during a, a WWDC keynote, you can tell it and you can you know use use your voice and you know slides and bring Dr. Dre up on stage if you want. I don't know. I don't know, but it, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's the way that, you know, there's something about watching people talk that's different and better than just reading about it, right? The iPhone announcement in 2007 would not have been the iPhone announcement if it had just come out in a press release with a picture. It's the fact that it was on, on stage with the crowd, right? If Stan Sigmund hadn't been there. Right, exactly. (laughs) What would we have laughed at? (laughs) Stan. <laughs> Wonder if anybody else remembers him as fondly as we did. God, that was it was it was it was just so because that that keynote was so amazing, and then we had to sit there for five minutes and listen to Stan Sigman. Do you know what Stan? Do you know who Stan Sigman was? Stan Sigman is it Sigman or Stigman? Sigman. Stan Sigman was to the iPhone keynote what Christian Leitner was to the Dream Team. 
you remember the the dream team, the original, the first time right. the U.S. sent professional basketball players to the Olympics? And it was Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Charles Barkley. I mean, it's just, you know, right. those three, the three at the top are arguably, the, I think, well, you know, LeBron's probably up there now, maybe. I don't know. If, but, you know, at the time, they were all three were considered arguably the single greatest player of all time. Uh, all on the same team. All, you know, almost all, not just all-stars, but Hall of Famers down the line. And then they had uh, they had room for one college player. And it, it could have been either Shaq, who wound up having a fantastic pro career, you know, Hall of Fame career, or Christian Leitner from Duke. And they picked Christian Leitner. <laughs> that was Stan Sigman. The greatest announcement in the history of consumer electronics. <laughs> And then at one point, <laughs> and then it just like stalls. Right, we were uh, it, in, in the midst of outright near pandemonium and de delirium <laughs> in the in the in the the hall. All of a sudden, there was narcolepsy. <laughs> People had to pass smelling salts out. Yeah, when when. <laughs> When Jerry Yang is up there, yeah, it's Jerry Yang is up there, and he's not like the least charismatic speaker. <laughs> right, bring back Jerry Yang. <laughs> yeah, right, put Jerry Yang back up. <laughs> Breaking news! It has uh, come to our attention that like a dummy I uh, forgot to mention something that I wanted to during the recording with uh, John Moltz and that is this uh, for those of you who will be in San Francisco during the week of WWDC uh, I'm going to have another live audience episode of the talk show uh, I've done this the last two years this will be the third year it's been a lot of fun and uh, the show should be uh, even better than before it's going to be on Tuesday, that's June 3rd, uh, 6 to 9 p.m. at Mezzanine in San Francisco. We've already got the venue. Um, I don't have any ticket information yet. Don't have the URL, uh, but I will. Uh, so what I'm going to do is rather than announce it on Daring Fireball, I will announce it here on the show in the next episode. Not this episode, not, not the one you're listening to right now. Next episode, episode 82, I will... Uh, have instructions URL or something like that where you go to buy your tickets for the show. So the first crack at uh, tickets, we should have about 500 available. Uh, the first crack will go to uh, the first people who listen to the show. So if you really want to get a ticket, you want to be sure to get one, pay attention, uh, keep your eyes peeled for the next episode of the talk show, episode 82, give it a listen. And in that show, you'll find out how to get a ticket. Uh, thanks. Uh, hope to see you there. And now, uh, back to the talk show. So, so WWDC. All right. Two weeks. Two weeks. Now, maybe you want to hold off on, you want to hold off on speculation for your next show. Maybe, but, you know, you could ask me questions. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> big iPhone. I don't think so. Oh, oh, oh wait, 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 wait! I got a better. I got a better question. Split screen iPad. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I believe it. I mean, I don't think it's ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, I trust Mark Gurman, who reported it enough that I don't think that he, you know, I think his source right. probably, you know, was reasonably either in Apple or reasonably could be expected to uh, to know of such a thing. But I don't know. I, it, the devil would be in the details in terms of how it's actually how you actually get into and out of this such a mode. Yeah, because I think that's been I mean, you know, Microsoft always touts that you can use two apps at the same time, but you wouldn't really want to. Right. My guess is if it's true, it's something that you manage within the, the multitasking switcher. In other words, the thing you get when you double tap the home button and that you zoom out a little bit to like a card type view. Now in iOS 7, you do. Uh, and it might even help explain why they switched to that card type view where you actually see what looks like windows of your apps as you pan left and right. And that maybe you could take two of them and push them mm -hmm. together. Yeah. And then, you know, but I don't know, though. It all seems, you know, you start thinking about this. If you actually try to think it through and, you know, get it detailed down enough that you could actually hand over to someone and say, okay, build this. It you you start seeing how complicated it is because it, it almost certainly would require apps to support it explicitly because the size of the app on screen would be it would be a new size. It would be a new window size, right? Right, because it's you know it's something that would work with uh, if they announced it at WWDC. By definition, it would be part of an announcement of iOS eight, not a part of new iPad hardware. So it right. would have to work on existing iPads. Um, and so you could just take the half the size of the iPad screen and that's the size that the app would be running in. It's, you know, 10, 20, 2048. Uh, so it'd be like 1024 by, uh, I don't know, whatever it would be. I can't do half. the math in my head. Right. <laughs> but it would still be new dimensions and a new size. Yeah. Uh, and it would, uh, so you couldn't just push together any two apps. You'd only be able to push together two apps that support it. Well, support then how do you show the user which ones you can push together? I don't know. Seems yeah. And he also, he the other thing was he sort of insinuated that it might have implications for, well, he, I guess he said this, but uh, for data sharing between different apps. On that point, I think he was, I think he was guessing guessing yeah i yeah. don't think so because i don't think yeah it didn't seem like that was you know what came from his source it seemed like that was his right. reference yeah i don't think it would require the um xpc as he said yeah um certainly possible but again i think it would have to be you know you have to figure, i'd have to see the details of exactly how you get into and out of the mode and i think it has to be the sort of thing where i think the most important thing would be that you can't get into it accidentally because I think that then all of a sudden you're in, it's starting to turn into something like the Mac where people are easily confused, and that's so big a part right, of right. why as a pro uh, it would be I think it would be great as a pro feature or something that you turn on explicitly, right? And you just but can't underestimate. You don't you don't want somebody? I mean, like my mother or father, right? And I that everything's always I and I don't play that card lightly. You know that because <laughs> I know that some people get all incensed about the playing the oh yeah the, the non-techy tech savvy grandparents card but it's true <laughs> no it's absolutely true i mean my my parents both have ipads now 
and I, I've in, in years I've gotten like one call about like an iPad problem, and it was really it came down to um, like a billing thing with the cellular wireless, which is you know sort of a complicated aspect of it. But in terms of mm-hmm. just using it, it's never been a problem. Whereas, and I think know, in, I think you and I talked about you didn't you get a call once when a, somebody was in full screen mode? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And couldn't, and couldn't get out? Right, exactly. Yeah. No, that was exactly true, where uh, my my parents had uh, got a new iMac and upgraded, jumped a couple versions of Mac OS, and never had full screen mode before, got into it, and it was a confusing phone call, because they were like, how do you quit? We want to quit mail. And I was like, just go up to the menu. And they're like, there is no menu. I'm like, there's always a menu. And then I thought, <laughs> wait, not when you're in full screen. Although I guess if you run the mouse up there, there is a menu. But because they couldn't see it in the yeah. first place, they never even thought to run the mouse up to see if there was a menu. Right. Yeah, full screen conf- getting into full screen mode accidentally required a phone call. And I feel like whatever the iPad does for two apps on the screen at the same time cannot be something that's going to get me a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> if I get a phone call about it, then I then Apple has somebody failed. didn't do their job. Uh, and to me, that's more important than number two, which would be making it convenient enough that power users who know what they're doing and who really want to do it can get into it easy enough that it's that they end up using it. I don't know. It's like there's a lot of people out there who um, I don't want to call them iPad doubters, but you know, people who have just generally down on the iPad as like a long-term replacement for the Mac and, and a productivity device. Um, who who want more power user type features in iOS, especially on the iPad, maybe compared to the phone, just because it's big enough that you could do stuff. Like nobody is saying they want two apps on the same time on the iPhone, or at least nobody's saying. Um, I just feel like those sort of people gloss, just gloss over how confusing computers in general are to, to most people. It's just if you understand it and you never really find yourself confused or lost on Mac OS X, you just can't – it's just yeah, so it's hard. The to, same, it's the same people who think that widgets on Android are the killer feature. Yeah, yeah. I just saw something this week on ZDNet about how much more – quote. I didn't link to it because it was – you know, it's like one of those things like you don't want to draw attention to something. Yeah. And it wasn't – the guy was – I think the guy meant it honestly, but he said look at how, you know, how huge the usability advantage of Android is versus um, – iOS usability, he called it, and it was his his home screen on both devices, and he carries both like for work for some reason. He has an Android, a Galaxy, and a iPhone, and his iPhone home screen, of course, is just a bunch of apps, and his Android home screen is a couple of apps and a bunch of widgets, including a bunch of like home automation ones, so that he can like you know, open his garage door and change his thermostat and do all this stuff without ever entering an app, but do it right from his Android, uh, home screen, which is cool in a geeky way. It's kind of, you know, and obviously it makes him happy and maybe, you know, he's too fiddly. Yeah. He's a perfect example of a sort of person who truly is better served by Android than iOS. Plus that guy, that guy, he tries too hard. <laughs> but calling it a user, I, know, I know that I know who that is. <laughs> calling it a uh, a years years long usability advantage is, I think, stretching it. I, I just feel like people uh, vastly underestimate how big of a usability advantage for different people iOS has in terms of never making people feel like they're lost. Right. 
Because what happens? You're in two-screen mode, and you hit the home button. What happens? Do both apps go away and replace with your home screen? Because that's what I would expect to happen. Because whenever I hit the home button, I'm right. taken back to the safety of I'm back to ground zero, just a home screen full of apps. There's a, you know, there's a perfect solution for that. What's it's that? Two home buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Hold that thought. <laughs> Hold that thought. And let me thank our third and final sponsor of the day, our good friends at Squarespace. You guys know Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one hosting system for creating, hosting a website. What kind of website? Almost any kind of website. You can host a blog. You can host a podcast. They have all sorts of podcast-specific features. Uh, you can host a store. And they have all sorts of great commerce-related features. They have an award-winning, literally award-winning. They've won numerous awards for their customer support. Um, and they have something like 40, 50, 60 support staff in New York um, available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to help you with any sort of question uh, about getting started, about configuring uh, about getting in there. You can get in. They have all sorts of templates to choose from. Really, really professionally designed. But they give you code-level control if you want to geek out, if you want to tweak stuff, if you know what you're doing in terms of CSS uh, or injecting your own JavaScript or something like that into your web pages. You can do all that stuff, too. And they have customer support ready to help you out. Uh, domain name registration. Everything you need to host a website. Squarespace offers it. Uh, just fantastic. Almost an unbelievable amount of stuff to choose from. And you only have to use what it is that you want. Where do you go to find out more and do it in such a way that you came from this show? Easy. Uh, their code this month, or the URL at least, is squarespace.com slash Gruber. I think because we were already in contact with them with this switch, so they didn't want to go talk show or daring fireball. It's just slash Gruber. Squarespace.com slash Gruber. They also have an offer code when you sign up. And it's just two letters, JG. So when you sign up, if you use that offer code, JG, you get 10% off for the lifetime of your account. You can save tons of money, tons of money if you're ready to sign up for Squarespace if you use that code, JG. My thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring the show and their continued support. Um, home button. Two of them. Well, here's what I wanted to talk about. I'm talking about one home button. So I don't know if you noticed this. I, I tweeted a couple of times about it. But a couple of weeks ago, I bought uh, I bought a Firefox phone. Firefox, yeah. The ZTE OpenC Firefox OS phone. I saw it. I forget what site I was reading, but it said that they started to sell it in the U.S. on eBay. They had, it's like an eBay store. You just go there. $99 uh, smartphone unlocked. Oh, it's unlocked. Yeah, of course it's unlocked. Of course it's unlocked. So right. uh, you just go there and you spend 99 bucks, and a couple days later you get you get your phone. Uh, I guess I should write about it on Daring Fireball. A lot of times I get these things and never end up writing about it. But um, long story short, it's not, not a good phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, darn. B... <laughs> Uh, one thing, though, that is interesting is that they copied conceptually, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way at all, 
I just mean in terms of look, they're following years behind the footsteps of the you know the modern smartphone, which is a touchscreen device um, that more or less runs something that's like a you know a real computer operating system, um, the post iPhone smartphone, right? And one thing that they got right is there's only one button on the front, a home button. There's a button, you know, to turn it on. It's got the exact same buttons as the iPhone, except it doesn't have a mute switch. So there's an on-off switch at the top, just like the iPhone. Uh, volume up, volume down on the side. And then on the front face, underneath the screen, there's just a circle. And that circle is the home button. And the home button does exactly what the home button on the iPhone does, is it takes you to a home screen full of app icons. Uh, so in one sense, I was actually, I found myself very, um, for an iPhone user, you, you, there's no way to get lost or confused. It's, it's very, very iPhone-like in terms of what's the basic gist of how you use the thing. Uh, I would say in every other regard, it is, it's really pretty bad. And I don't mean did you, that. Did you just pop your SIM out and put it in that? You know what? I, did you get another? I can't because my SIM is a Verizon SIM, and it's a GSM phone. Oh, yeah. And so it doesn't work. Uh, okay. And I was, so you could get a- I was going to go to T-Mobile and just get a, buy a SIM card from them because I've been yeah. curious. I've been curious about T-Mobile ever since. You know, it just seems like they're the most interesting. I don't know that. I would say they're the best carrier right now in the U.S., but they're the most interesting carrier. That they seem to have the best plans, the most, the best pricing, right? Uh, and a pretty, you know, they just seem better, like a, a better company than Verizon or AT and T, albeit yeah. with a, a smaller network coverage. Because, it, but it's like fifty. I think to start, I think that you could get one for it's like fifty bucks a month, and it's prepaid. You don't have to get on a contract or anything. But even fifty bucks felt like too much to waste on this thing. <laughs> We're hundred dollar phone. Well, you know, and I don't regret the hundred dollars. I feel like I got a hundred dollars worth of curiosity answered, and just using it at home on the Wi-Fi network is more than enough to satisfy my questions about it. I don't feel yeah. I don't feel like the ability to actually go out and use it outside the house right. would answer anything other than you know. Uh, so I haven't been able to send any text messages because I don't have a SIM card in it, and I haven't been able to place an actual phone call. But I, I I don't like talking on the phone anyway. But who does? Yeah, who does that? Right. Who uses the phone? Anymore? Right. Of the phone. Right. And when I say that it's not good, savages. That's who. When I say that it's not good, I do not mean in comparison to a seven hundred dollar iPhone five S, which is truly not a fair comparison. A ninety nine dollar unlocked phone to an iPhone five S that in the unlocked, you know, sells for seven or eight hundred dollars, which is that's not a fair comparison. Uh, I would say, and I don't have it here, so I can't, you know, I don't have one in the house, but where Nokia has been going and now Nokia's, you know, handset division is part of Microsoft, um, and Motorola has been going on Android in terms of lower cost smartphones. Uh, and I did see when I was out at build for the Microsoft conference a month ago, I saw a low end Nokia windows phone handset that I think unlocked was, I, I could be wrong here, but I think it was like $129. Um, way better than this device. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and again, not, you know, definitely not iPhone 5, 5S, 5C, iPhone 5 anything, you know, caliber, not even iPhone 4S caliber, but pretty good, like in terms of things like frame rate and, you know, 
load a web page and slide your thumb around and does it keep up with your thumb and stuff like that. Pretty good. And I know Motorola has a new thing. I forget which the model number is, but they have one that's like $129. And so they're not quite at the $99 price I paid for this, but 129 to 99 is a pretty fair comparison. And this, this phone has got a lot of problems. Uh, video. So when you shoot video on this phone, it's like 380 by like 240 pixels, which is really a pretty, pretty low size. <laughs> and it's 15 frames per second. <laughs> um, so you're, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost like if that's all they were able to, to put in here, I, I almost, I mean, I guess it's better than nothing, but it's not much better than nothing. Yeah. Can you remember, do you remember that the original iPhone didn't shoot video? Yeah. That's that is I I I caught myself Which thinking seems about that. Kind of crazy uh, at this point. Is that right? I was like, that can't be right. And then they like yeah. went back and looked, and I was like, yep, that was right. But I do think I I will bet that that was the sort of decision Apple made with the original iPhone, where they probably could have done something like shot posted stamp sized fifteen frames per second video, and they were like, it'd be better not to even shoot video than to offer video like that. Eventually, there was an app. How did that work? Right, that sort did, of. When did, when did video come to the iPhone? Was it a, was it in the was it in the three G three GS? Because the three GS the three G yeah, only because it, it needed the better processor, right? Right, the three G only added three G and a new yeah. a new case design, right? But technically, it didn't it didn't increase the CPU, you know, didn't increase the RAM, didn't increase the storage. The one and only technical difference, other than the outside appearance between the original iPhone and the three G, was three G. Maybe there was a jailbreak app that added video mm. to the earlier ones because I remember that there was one, and I never, I never installed it just because. But I think by the that point, I already moved on. Yeah. The camera is just really bad. The video—it's not just that the video is low; it's it really takes terrible, terrible photographs. Um, and again, I so with the Nokia one, the Nokia's low end one hundred twenty nine dollar smartphone. The only photos I got to take, I was in a room in Moscone where they had demo units set up for media to play with. I mean, but I could, I, it, the Nokia has a, you know, if anything, they have a, yeah. If anything, Apple just, Apple just hired their yeah, camera guy. Yeah. And from everything I've read about it, that's uh, a pretty big hire that he wasn't, it's not just the name that he actually was largely, you know, played a big part in making Nokia. Yeah. They're either one and two or two and one. I mean, that's, you know, more or less the gist is that the two best companies that, at mobile photography right now are Apple and Nokia. And it doesn't matter which one you think is one and which one's two. You know, they're just leading the way in terms of image quality and features and stuff. And this phone from ZTE is just, it just feels like it's at least 10 years old. Uh, and it makes me wonder about Firefox in general. I mean, I, I you know, I was never really a full-time Firefox user on the, on the desktop. Um, but it just—it's like, I, why are they? It just feels to me like this is just a waste of time on their part. I, I don't know, and I feel like they're—they feel locked out because these mobile platforms don't allow, or at least iOS certainly doesn't allow them to include their own rendering engine. You know, even Chrome doesn't get to Chrome for iOS doesn't use the Chrome rendering engine. It's just a Chrome wrapper around the system's WebKit version. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so if you're a company like Mozilla that, uh, you know, that the whole point of your existence is to have your rendering and engine out there 
powering people surfing the web. I could see why you would want a mobile operating system of your own so you could do it. But if this is how far behind you are, boy, it's it's going to be tough to get anybody to I, – I just can't see why anybody would buy it. If you have the $99 to spend on it, I just can't see why you wouldn't save up yeah. another 30 and get a Motorola Android phone or get a Nokia Windows right. 8 phone when you get so much more. And much more likely you'd get the Android phone. I mean, well, more, statistically, more, pe- more people would get the Android phone. Yeah, so. well, they would right now, at least statistically. Yeah. Although, you know, you're, because you're buying into a bigger ecosystem, right? I just feel, and I feel like the only other reason I can think of that someone would buy this phone would be the politics of it. You know, that you support the right. the whole political angle of Mozilla, um, and the you know open web and et cetera, et cetera. But I just don't see how there's enough people out there that that's a statistically valid number of people. Right. Oh, it looks like it erased my notebook. Hmm. Uh, I had some notes, but they're <laughs> they were written using the the notebook app on the actual phone, and and it seems as though now they're they're gone. That's a shame. <laughs> uh, I can remember a lot of them. Uh, one of the big problems with this uh, operating system is that it does not support uh, selecting text. So oh, right. So there's yeah. no cut, copy or so paste. It's, so it's a lot like the original iPhone. <laughs> it is. And, you know, and there's, you know, I Twittered about some of these things and people, you know, who, who support, you know, uh, you know, who are fans of that, I guess, uh, you know, tried to call me a hypocrite for it that, you know, how is it okay for Apple in 2007 when the iPhone was new and it's not okay now? Well, that's because it's not 2007 anymore. Right. right? It's, you know, the world's moved on. And, uh, other people called me out the other way, and when I said that it was unacceptable, it was acceptable for Apple then, but it's unacceptable now. And they said, no, it was unacceptable for Apple then, too. It used to drive me nuts. Um, but my point to them is that, no, that was annoying then. It was like an obvious shortcoming, but it was clearly acceptable because we were using it. And you're even admitting that you still used it, right? <laughs> we were frustrated by it, but we still used it. I, when I say it's unacceptable now, I mean I can't imagine why someone would buy this phone where they can't select cut, copy and paste when for about the same amount of money they could buy a different one that does. Yeah. I mean everything has to be taken in context. Right. Like and I mean, The context of 2007 was the iPhone was – an amazing phone for the time, even with its flaws. Right. That people, and we did put up with it, with those yeah. shortcomings. And I just can't see why someone would put up with these now. I can't believe that it erased my notes. I think it's because I might have <laughs> let the battery die. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't like what you were saying about it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, you can't, and you know, even the web browser, which you would think would be the one thing that might be good because it's, you know, Firefox's own thing. It's not good. Uh, you can't do things like jump. Like when you're scrolled down, you can't jump to the top. Like it doesn't have the iPhone thing where you just tap, tap the status the bar and it scrolls part, yeah. to the top. But the only way to get to the interface to manage your multiple tabs is at the top. So if you're scrolled down on a web page and you want to switch to another tab that's open, you have to sit there and flick, 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 flick. And and it doesn't really have a lot of inertia either. So if it's a long enough page that you've been reading, I'm not exaggerating how many flicks you need to get to the top, which is where the tab management is. And there's no bookmarks. 
Uh, therefore, there's no bookmark lets. And I use, you know, it's... There's no book... There are no bookmarks? Uh, no. Not that I can tell. I don't know if there's bookmarks. I don't know how you, how you, you make them. Well, I guess there are bookmarks here. Oh, uh, yeah. I've just found it. Well, <laughs> let's just say that the bookmarks are hidden. Uh, it's not intuitive. No. Not intuitive. The email client isn't too bad. It's got a decent IMAP client. It's usable, at least. Um, but they just uh, and you know and it's this whole. Is it Thunderbird? Is it branded Thunderbird? Is that no? Are they owned by? Well, I don't know if they talk about Thunderbird anymore. No, they call it. It's just called email. And in fact, okay. I think what's interesting is they they spell it E dash capital M A I L, which to me looks like. And I you know God knows I love some curmudgeonly grammar and spelling and stuff like that. But the dash in email feels kind of old timey. Feels a little nineteen nineties. Um, and they have a thing called marketplace, which is like their app store, but really it's just sort of like a directory of mobile operated, mobile optimized websites. And when you create an app or download an app out of one of these things, it's really just, you know, like when you're on iOS, like when you use mm -hmm. the plus button and save a web page as an app and right. it just, you just lose the browser Chrome. Um, so that's like what the Twitter app for this thing is. The Twitter app is just a it seems a little bit different than when you go to Twitter on an iPhone, but not much. Um, and I haven't done that in so long. And therefore, though, you like. can't do any. Like now. You can't do anything like have two different accounts any more than you can have two accounts on you know the Twitter website. There's no account switching. Uh, so it's just you know when you use Twitter on this, it's just the mobile Twitter website. Yeah, I kind of remember that those days of using like the mobile Major League Baseball site and all those the WAP sites, mobile. Yeah, right. those. Yeah, right, right. Well, that's a lot like using this. Mostly, mostly because of Edge, right? Not because they were they were better. They were just they loaded faster, right? And so, on the one hand, there's the web, and what you call the web as a developer can mean different things to different people. And one thing could just be using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to do the actual layout and development of the app. And WebOS worked that way, right? From Palm and later HP, where apps were really just sort of like bundles that inside were implemented using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And there's nothing wrong with that, uh, although there's some performance problems you have to overcome to, if you want to be compared favorably to native code like uh, Objective-C running on iOS or even the Java-type bytecode that you run on Android. Um, but it could be overcome. But what Firefox OS does really is just load things, you know, actual websites over the Internet and save them. And so a lot of stuff stops working if you don't have an internet connection. Like there's games, they call, there's games you can get, but then if you don't have an internet connection, the games don't load because you can't connect to the server anymore and it's not entirely cached locally. And I just don't feel like there's any, you know, I, I don't, we haven't gotten to a place where always having an internet connection is a thing. Right, right. I thought of you because what was the thing you bought? You bought the uh, 
for similar reasons. Like, hey, I want to find out what the, how the other side lives. You bought the Fire tablet, right? No, I bought the uh, Nexus 7. Nexus 7. Yeah. How's that going? It's, um, <laughs> it's around here somewhere. <laughs> Didn't work out that great. No. It was, it, was, it was all right. I mean, it's, you know, for... I mean, I think in that case, at the price... Because it was only, you know, this was a couple of years ago now, and it was only 200 bucks, and it was like an 8 gigabyte. It was at a price point that there wasn't an iPad available at that price point. And, you know, there's a, it's an ecosystem that has apps, and Android is a full-fledged operating system. So it was okay. But, I, you know, I, not a year into using it, I ended up having battery problems, and then... You know, had to had to reset it, recondition it to get it to the point where it would really hold a charge for a good amount of time. And then, I, one of the things I wanted to use it for was listening to music on you know on my desk as I was working, and it would just there was a lot of bleed through in the device of sound. You know, that would, from other electronics, the kind of problems that we used to have with. I mean, it seems like we used to have those problems like. Uh, I used to have to turn off yeah, that, that, the phone to do a podcast or that kind of thing. Right. Or if you got your headphones and, too close to your laptop, you'd get a weird uh, yeah. feedback. Yeah. And it wasn't, it's not, it wasn't the headphone because it's the same headphones that I use with my iPhone and, and everything else. And I don't get it with any other device other than, other than that. Yeah. So The other thing about this Firefox phone, it has a 4.0-inch screen. I think the aspect ratio is a little bit wider when you're holding it in in portrait than the iPhone, but roughly it's roughly an iPhone sized device, and I do find that comfortable. It, it's, I don't find myself wishing that the screen were bigger. I don't know. I feel like I don't know. I feel like I'm gonna. It's gonna be a problem for me if if the new iPhone is bigger. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I'll wait until I see it, but I don't feel like I. I want a bigger iPhone, no. particularly. I'm curious. The other thing I guess I'm curious about, and it occurred to me when I was thinking about how all the buttons are the same as the iPhone, except for the lack of a mute switch. But most phones don't have mute switches. And Apple, who is notoriously sort of minimalist on including hardware buttons, you know, it, it, I love the mute switch on the iPhone. I I, yeah. I don't like whenever I try out these other phones and you have to do, like for this one the way to get into mute is you hold down the power button and instead of you know like as though to turn off the phone but you get a menu with four options turn off airplane mode or turn it on silence incoming calls restart power off and I think Android does the same thing where if you want to huh. Um, at least an Android phone that I had a while ago did, where if you wanted to turn off the sound, you hold down the power button, wait for a menu to come up, and then hit it. I love that, like, uh, you know, at the start of my uh, son's concert a couple weeks ago, I, I didn't even have to take my phone out of my pocket. I just, you know, just toggled the... Stick your hand in and yeah. Yeah, just toggle the switch, and then I know it's not going to mm. make a sound. I do the opposite. I mean, I... The, I almost always have it in mute, and only when I'm expecting a call that I want, <laughs> right? Do I turn Do I turn it off mute? Yeah, I could do that too, or just to double check it. Really, yeah. A lot of times yeah. when I want to turn on mute, it already is on mute, and I don't turn it off. I thought you were going to say that you do the opposite, and when your son's school is going to have a concert, <laughs> you, you turn your phone up real loud. <laughs> I got to take this. Sorry, 
I'm not sure you were going to say. Spend, spend 45 minutes in the lobby <laughs> drinking. Please turn off and silence Father yourself. Of the year. I do the opposite. You're not going to tell me when to silence my phone. I'm turning mine up. And I've set my ringtone to it, a song with inappropriate lyrics. Get wrestled out of the, out of the school program by some, some bouncers. <laughs> Now, I'd seen, like, back in the fall, I had seen a few things, people predicting that Firefox OS was really going to take off and change the the playing field. If they had come out with this in 2009, you know, two years after the iPhone, uh, I would say maybe, you know, you know, because that's when Android was new, too, right? I, like, it was I get maybe a little bit ahead of that, but it was, I think it was the end of 2008 when the first android phone came out the htc was it the htc one i forget what it was called but i think it was brown and it had a you know keyboard that came out of the side uh yeah. and had a lot of problems it had a lot of problems just like this where you know it was it was like they were still uh, growing out you know they'd started with the idea of an operating system that required a keyboard and required an up down left right device so if you wanted to select text on that android phone you had to use the rollerball you couldn't use your finger on the touch screen you had to go to the rollerball um you know it just feels like something from that era it just it's just a long long time ago though since i could have you know used a phone of any operating system where you can't even select text just feels you know bizarre right just feels like right. and it just makes me think that mozilla as a whole is just off in their own c cocoon and echo chamber in terms of you know the politics of the whole thing are the only reason keeping it afloat and and yeah. uh whatever remaining uh traction or momentum i guess that they have of all the people who switched to firefox on windows a decade ago you know still giving them some revenue because they go up to the search bar and search through Google and that they have a, you know, revenue share deal with Google, but that's, it's all, you know, every, anything that's going on that, that gives them any value is, is 10 years old. Like they're still nowhere in terms of actual mobile. Kind of sad. Yeah. But not surprising. But open. But totally open. John Moltz, thanks for joining me. I said we call it a show. Where should we tell people to go? We could tell them to go to your very nice website. Very nice website dot net. Uh, and uh, your uh, your podcast is called Don't Make Me Go Back There. <laughs> we should buy that URL. <laughs> it's called Don't Make Me Turn This Turning This Don't Make Me Turn This Car Around Automobile Over with uh, on the freeway with turning this car around turning this car around with John Armstrong and Casey and the Liss. other guy Casey Liss. Casey Liss, Casey Liss, exactly. It's about three dads Two. who get get kicked out of school school, school functions <laughs> get, for get in a car accident. On the <laughs> <laughs> get in yeah, I don't text and drive, but I do turn my ringer up during a school play. <laughs>